So let's pray. Lord, may the word spoken here this morning be edifying. Just uh, speak to our hearts, Lord. Draw us closer to you in this time together. We just thank you and praise you in your name. Amen. So in the evening, after Jesus fed the 5,000 on the shore of the Lake of Galilee, his disciples took their boats and headed back across to Capernaum. This was when Jesus appeared to them walking across the sea. When the crowds discovered Jesus had left, they got in their boats and crossed over to Capernaum as well. The Gospel of John then records this in chapter 6, starting at verse 25. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. Then they said to him, What must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him who he has sent. So they said to him, Then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, as it is written, He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus then said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, It was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. Then a few verses later, so the Jews grumbled about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, is, this not, is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say, I have come down from heaven? Jesus answered them, do not grumble among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. And then verse 49. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven, so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. The Jews then disputed among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up in the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven, not like the bread the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Jesus said these things in the synagogue as he taught at Capernaum. So this morning, being the first Sunday of the month, we're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper together once again. And we're all familiar with the scriptures we often recite as we prepare to receive the communion elements. 
either from the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, or Luke, or this from the Apostle Paul's first letter to the Corinthians. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So my question this morning is, what did Jesus mean when he said, this is my body and this is my blood? Why would he use this language? Remember, the Jews he spoke to in the synagogue in Capernaum would know this prohibition and others from God about the eating of meat with blood. Leviticus 3.17 It shall be a statue forever throughout your generations in all your dwelling places that you eat neither fat nor blood. Is Jesus actually present in the Lord's Supper? Do the elements of bread and wine, grape juice in our case, truly represent his body and blood? Today there are essentially four general views of Christ's presence in the Lord's Supper. Think of these as on a spectrum. Okay. First, the Roman Catholic view on the far end of the spectrum. The bread and wine miraculously change into the actual body and blood of Christ in the Mass by a process called transubstantiation. <clears throat> Though the outward attributes, the accidents they're called, still look like bread and wine. Second, consubstantiation proposed by Martin Luther whereby Christ's body and blood is present under and around the elements, though the bread and wine remain unchanged. This is mainly the Lutheran view today. Third, at the other end of the spectrum, there's no actual presence of Christ in the Lord's Supper, only a remembrance. Since Christ is bodily in heaven at the right hand of the Father, will not return until the final judgment and millennial reign. This was proposed by Zwingli, a Swiss theologian <clears throat> and contemporary of Martin Luther. There's a big argument between the two of them over this issue. This is largely the, the view today of much of the evangelical Protestant church, at least to some extent. And fourth, between Zwingli and Luther, Christ is truly present in the Lord's Supper, but spiritually. We enter into his presence in heaven through the Holy Spirit. This view was best expressed by John Calvin, who knew both Luther and Zwingli and acted as a mediator somewhat. In this view, there is a real, quote, real reception of the body and blood of Christ in the supper, only in a spiritual manner. The sacrament is a real means of grace, a channel by which Christ communicates himself to us. Christ is bodily in heaven. The distance is overcome by the Holy Spirit, who vivifies believers with Christ's flesh. The supper is a true communion with Christ, unquote. Though their views differed somewhat amongst each other, all the reformers condemned the first view above, transubstantiation, teaching of the Roman Catholic Church, for quite a number, a number of quite serious reasons. Prior to the ninth century, so we're talking about 800 years since Christ, there was no actual doctrine of transubstantiation. 
a man named Radbertus began teaching that a miracle takes place during the Lord's Supper that changes the bread and wine into the actual body and blood of Christ. This teaching was declared the faith of the Roman Church around 1059 AD. And then the term transubstantiation was used officially at the Fourth Lateran Council in 1215 AD. The, the medieval Roman Church successively added a number of teachings to this. One, concomitants, that both the body and blood of Christ are in each element, bread and wine. So you can have one, don't need the other. Okay. Consecration, two, the high moment in the Eucharist, the Lord's Supper, is not communion with Christ, but the change of the elements by their consecration into the very body and blood of Christ, an act performed by the priest alone. And three, because there is a real presence of the body and blood of Christ in the supper, a sacrifice is offered to God. Four, the sacrifice offered is propitiary for the sins of the people. Five, the consecrated elements may be reserved for later use. If they're not used, they can be set aside, but they're consecrated. They are the body and blood of Christ. And six, the elements reserved should be venerated or worshipped as the living Christ. The Mass is then a repeated, unbloody sacrifice, and that's the wording of the Roman Catholic Church of the doctrine today, offered by the priest that reenacts Christ's sacrifice on the cross daily for the sins of the people. The Reformers rightly condemn this as being contrary to Scripture, especially in the book of Hebrews. Hebrews 9, starting at verse 24. For Christ has entered not into holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true things, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. Nor was it to offer himself repeatedly as the high priest enters holy places every year with blood not his own. For then he would have had to suffer repeatedly since the foundation of the world. But that is as it is, he has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment, so Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, now to deal, not to deal with sin, but to save those who were eagerly awaiting for him. So the Council of Trent, Roman Catholic Council of Trent, which met periodically between 1545 and 1563, remember the Reformation started in 1517, confirmed all these in the 13th and 22nd sessions and added that veneration, worship, given these consecrated elements, is the same as worship given to God. These doctrines were again reaffirmed by Pope Paul VI in the Second Vatican Council in 1965, and again in 1992 by Pope John Paul II. Now I dwell on this because half of those in the wor world today who call themselves Christians are Roman Catholic. Okay. So what did the early church think was happening? Here are all the scriptures in the New Testament that mention the Lord's Supper or breaking of bread as it is called, was called then after Jesus had ascended into heaven. At and just after Pentecost, there's Acts 2.42, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and prayers. Acts 2.46, and day by day, attending the temple together, 
breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. And years later, on Paul's third missionary journey, Acts 27, on the first day of the week, when we were gathered together to break bread, Paul talked with them, intending to depart on the next day, and he prolonged his speech until midnight. And then a few verses later, Acts 20, 11. And when Paul had gone up and had broken bread and eaten, he conversed with them a long while until daybreak and so departed. And then Paul, during the storm at sea on his way to prison in Rome, Acts 27, 35. And when he had said these things, he took bread, giving thanks to God in the presence of all, he broke it and began to eat. So, so far, there's not much on the theology of bread and wine. The main emphasis recorded was the joyful celebration of a corporate meal, breaking of bread together. So this is just the remembrance, right? No. When Paul writes his first letter to the Corinthians around 55 AD, it's clear that they had lost sight of the meaning of the Lord's Supper, and there was more to it than just eating and remembering. 1 Corinthians 11, starting at verse 17. But in the following instructions, I do not commend you, because when you come together, it is not for the better, but for the worse. For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you, and I believe it in part, for there must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized. When you come together, it's not the Lord's Supper that you eat, for in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry, another gets drunk. What? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I commend you in this? No, I will not. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you. And then that's the passage we read earlier. And after that, verse 27, he says, Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill, and some have died. But if we judge ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined, so that we may not be condemned along with the world. So then, my brothers, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. If anyone is hungry, let him eat at home, so that when you come together, it will not be for judgment. About the other things, I will give directions when I come. A wrong attitude and not discerning the body had serious consequences. Some were sick and some had died. Clearly, something more than remembrance is indicated here. Philip Schaff, writing in the late 1800s, writes this. The anti-Nicene fathers, that is up to the fourth century, considered the Eucharist, the Lord's Supper, as a sacrifice, not as an unbloody repetition of the atoning sacrifice of Christ on the cross, but simply as a commemoration and renewed appropriation of that atonement and, above all, as a thank-offering of the whole church for all the favors of God in creation and redemption. Down to the 12th and 13th century, the Eucharistic elements were presented as a thank-offering by members of the congregation themselves, and the remnants were sent, went to the clergy and the poor. The people yielded themselves as a priestly race and a living thank-offering to God, to whom they owed all the blessing alike of providence and of grace. 
Later time, the priest alone offered the sacrifice. The later Roman Catholic Mass turned a thank offering into a sin offering, the congregational offering into a priest offering. Common Protestant cultists, remember he's writing in the 1880s, in opposition to the Roman Mass, almost entirely banished the idea of sacrifice from the celebration of the Lord's Supper. So let's step back a bit. Jesus instituted this new covenant during the Passover meal. Celebrating the Passover was commanded by God as a lasting ordinance for the Jews. During the Seder, the leader answers questions about each element of the Passover meal. If you remember the Seder, if any of you are here for the Seder that we did, what, two years ago, that's, that's how it, how it work, works. Remembering the Exodus, when God brought the Israelites out of Egypt and they became a nation for the first time and his chosen people. Exodus 12, 26 and 27. And when your children say to you, what do you mean by this service? You shall say, it is the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover, for he passed over the houses of the people of Israel in Egypt when he struck the Egyptians but spared our houses. And the people bowed their heads and worshiped. And Deuteronomy 16, 1 through 3, observe the month of Abib and keep the Passover to the Lord your God. For in the month of Abib, the Lord your God brought you out of Egypt by night. You shall offer the Passover sacrifice to the Lord your God from the flock or the herd at the place that the Lord will choose to make his name dwell there. You shall eat no leavened bread with it. Seven days you shall eat it with unleavened bread, the bread of affliction. For you came out of the land of Egypt in haste, that all the days of your life you may remember the day when you came out of the land of Egypt. So keep in mind three things. One, each element on the Seder table was meaningful and related to God's provision and plan, and everyone at the table would know this. Two, the story is retold each Passover in the first person, we, not they. It's more than a remembrance. They are partakers of the Exodus and those who were there, with those who were there. And three, the Passover is and always was all about Jesus, signs and types of the reality. He is the Passover of the sign of the slaughtered lamb that was sacrificed, and his blood is the reality of the blood being remembered on the lentils protecting the Jews inside. So now is when Jesus changes the Passover meal. He essentially ends it for the disciples forever and institutes a new covenant by breaking the bread and saying, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you drink, eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. This is the beginning of the fulfillment of Jeremiah's prophecy nearly 600 years earlier. Jeremiah 31, 31. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his own brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity, I will remember their sin no more. 
though the disciples did not understand it fully until he was crucified and risen again. They would have understood that the Passover lamb that was slain for their meal and the unleavened bread were signs that represented a more profound reality. And after Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit had been given, they understood that bread and wine were signs of the real body and shed blood of Christ. And our participation in the Lord's Supper is a participation in a real way in the body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ given for us once and for all on the cross as a sacrifice, a propitiation for our sins. Again, Paul writes to the Corinthians, uh, chapter 10, verse 16, 17. The cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of of the one bread. Jesus took the wrath of the Father that we deserve upon himself and imputed his righteousness to those who would believe in him by faith. In the same way that the first Passover signified God calling out a people for himself for his plan of redemption, the last Passover, the last supper, the Lord's Supper, signifies the Lord completing that plan of redemption and calling out a redeemed people, the children of God. John 1, 11. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. So it's a serious yet joyful matter. Paul says we need to examine ourselves, not just our relationships, but our own faith. Am I truly saved? Have I repented? Do my own sins grieve me more and more? Have I reached the point at some time in my life that I've truly realized that I need a Savior? That I am hopelessly lost in the face of God on my own? Do I truly, though not completely, understand that Jesus is that Savior and that all my sins have been forgiven on the cross 2,000 years ago? If yes, you need to be here at this table this morning. If you're struggling to answer these things, you need to be here at this table this morning. If you feel you have failed God once again this week, this month, repent now, trust in his forgiveness, you need to be here at this table this morning. If you sit here and the thought comes to you that you're not worthy of this communion, you're right. Our worthiness is found only in our faith in the only one who is worthy, Jesus Christ. You are in the right place. You need to be here at this table this morning. If you have sinned against someone and not repented or made it right, and you realize that now, now you realize that, you should wait. Let the bread and cup pass by this time, but don't miss it next time. It's for the nourishment of your soul. But if you're not a believer, have not put your trust in Jesus Christ as the Lord of Lords, you're welcome here. But let the bread and cup pass by. The scriptures say you'll be eating and drinking judgment on yourself. Coming to the Lord's Supper does not wipe out or forgive your sins since last month. If you're a believer, they're already forgiven. We come to the table to participate with thanksgiving in our hearts for that salvation and gift of faith. This table is not an altar. It's a table. 
for communion together and together with Christ and the Holy Spirit. Alistair Begg says this, we need a true understanding of why we've been given this sacrament so our hearts can be truly in tune with him. We should be an obedient congregation, celebrating the Lord's Supper regularly, not missing it if possible. A grateful congregation. God's mercies are displayed in these symbols. A watchful congregation and a waiting congregation, proclaiming the Lord's death, looking back, till he comes again, looking forward. When we break the bread and drink the cup, we're proclaiming the distinctiveness of Christianity, which renders other approaches to God dead. Jesus Christ is the unique and only provision for our sin, unquote. And Kevin DeYoung says, we should have three things in our minds as we focus on the Lord's Supper. One, remembrance, communion with Christ in a real way, and hope our proclamation that he is coming again and we will be with him in heaven. The Heidelberg Catechism has this question. How does the Holy Supper remind and assure you that you share in Christ one sacrifice on the cross and in all his benefits? Answer in this way. Christ has commanded me and all believers to eat this broken bread and to drink this cup in remembrance of him. With this command come these promises. First, as surely as I see with my eyes the bread of the Lord broken for me and the cup shared with me, so surely his body was offered and broken for me and his blood poured out for me on the cross. And second, as surely as I receive from the hand of the one who serves and taste with my mouth the bread and cup of the Lord given me as sure signs of Christ's body and blood, so surely he nourishes and refreshes my soul for eternal life with his crucified body and poured out blood. And the Westminster Larger Catechism asks, how are they that receive the sacrament of the Lord's Supper to prepare themselves before they come unto it? Answer, they that receive the sacrament of the Lord's Supper are, before they come, to prepare themselves thereunto by examining themselves of their being in Christ of their sins and wants, of the truth and measure of their knowledge, faith, and repentance, love to God and the brethren, charity to all men, forgiving those that have done them wrong, of their desires after Christ, and of their new obedience, and by renewing the exercise of these graces by serious meditation and fervent prayer. Is Christ present in the Lord's Supper? Yes. I believe he is present in a real way, spiritually, by his Holy Spirit. He's bodily in heaven. Remember, he is fully God, fully man. As man, he cannot be anywhere else. But as God, he is present as he promised by his Holy Spirit. John 14, 25. These things I have spoken to you while I'm still with you, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. In Matthew 28, 20. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Let's pray. Father, Lord, we praise you. <clears throat> We thank you, Lord, for 
the sacrifice of your son for our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. We ask, Lord, now that as we celebrate this Lord's Supper together, that you truly do meet with us by your spirit. We thank you and praise you that we are children of God. We can be called that. We ask that you'd uh, just work in our hearts, prepare us, Lord. Just be, just uh, cleanse us, we pray. And we thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.